As I think a lot of you know, we were visiting down in Dunedin a few weeks ago where Jenny was speaking to the, at the Baptist Hui and uh, it took me back because that was my first pastoral position back in 1980. Yeah. <laughs> Now I know my life's over. <laughs> so as a weak as a weak key, you see how young I was in ministry. Okay. So we were driving around and I was showing a few landmarks to Jenny from from that time in my life and and, and one of the landmarks was the fact that um, at that time I lived at the top of Three Mile Hill, which is a long way up, three miles up in Dunedin. And it took me back to a time when uh, one, one night uh, we were, uh, I was in an elders meeting and there were only three of us, I think. Back then it was a relatively, it was the Elam Church and we were, we were building up, we were growing, but there was, there was just an elder and the and um, the pastor and myself, and we were it. And we were sitting there, and outside it started snowing. And it really started snowing. And um, I was from Auckland, okay? You know, although you probably pick up I'm English, but I'd been in Auckland for seven years, I wasn't used to snow. And this was the first time it had snowed in in Dunedin since I'd got down there, and uh, it carried on snowing, and after about an hour or so... um, Brian, the elder, he's the wise one, turned to me and said, um, you know, I think you might, I think you might better get, you better get home. You, you better start sort of thinking about it. I said, oh, we've got a few, few more points on the agenda here that we've got to cover. Oh, no, well, I, th- I really think you should start moving up there. It's pretty heavy out there. So I got in my little 120 wires, it was back then, my little Datsun 120 wire, and I started... <laughs> drive downtown and started driving up the hill and the wheels started spinning around a bit and after about halfway up half mile hill I was stuck and uh, you know I was from Auckland so I wasn't hadn't really got the gear you know I hadn't got my I hadn't got my woolly hat and I hadn't got chains uh, and I was stuck have you ever been stuck have you ever been stuck and feeling absolutely helpless? We can get stuck in so many different ways. On that particular day, I was stuck on the side of the road. I thought, well, I've got to do something, so I need to push. Turn to the person next door and say, I'm stuck. Give me a push. Go on, do that. I'm stuck. Where's Anna? Where's, is Anna here? She's our Osh lady. I don't want to get in trouble telling you to give you each other a push. Okay, so it doesn't have to be a literal push. But that's all right. It's just sort of gently. You know, we need sometimes to give each other a wee bit of a, wee bit of a encouraging push. Because we all get stuck. We get stuck in different ways. And I want to share this morning on the parable of the Samaritan, 
of the Good Samaritan. He was called the Good Samaritan. Many of you know it. It's a pretty familiar story. And we'll get it up on the screen there and we'll go through that. And, um, and we'll talk about how different individuals get stuck. And here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? Now it's interesting, a lawyer, he was a kind of a spiritual lawyer, he was part of the establishment and his job was to analyse the law of Moses and to interpret it and to put his particular spin on it. Now what can you do on a Sunday? Can you take your donkey out to the water? Can you, can you undo this? Can you carry that? Can you use an umbrella on a Sunday? Or do you just need a heavy coat? Because it involves opening the... Not that they had umbrellas in those days. I'm just talking in terms of our day today. Those were the sort of details they got into. What do we need to tithe? Do we need to tithe our mint and cumin? Do we need to tithe our gross or our net? Do we need to... Um, you know, what can we wear? What, what, what's okay? And what can we eat? And how much can we do on the Sabbath? can't do anything, everything has to be prepared the day before. And they'd go into all the details behind each of the 600 odd laws in the Old Testament, they'd get into the details. They'd get into how to interpret it and how, this is what, a, that's what his role was. And here he was thinking he was the expert, asking Jesus a question to test him and to trap him. And he answered, because he knew the law off by heart, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said, who is my neighbour? And Jesus didn't give him a straight answer and say, you know, so-and-so could be your neighbour or whatever. He started telling him a story. Jesus was very good at that because he realised that pictures told stories. And he was getting him to think. We know that when he told parables... It wasn't always obvious what they meant. The parable of the sower, the parable of the lost coin, the, the lost son. He would tell stories so he would get people to think and look and if they were really sincere, to dig deeper and find out what the answers were. And in this particular instance, he says, there was a man travelling from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell amongst robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to what he, where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. 
Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when you come back. The context of this story was just after the disciples had been on a mission. Jesus had sent out the 70, two by two, 35 groups of guys, and I believe women, had gone out and they'd seen healings, they'd seen people saved, they'd seen wonderful things happening and they'd come back and Jesus said, you know, I saw the devil falling and the heaven and angels rejoicing. Blessed are you because the kingdom has been revealed to those who are simple. So it was a time where the disciples were very excited about what was going on. This was the context of this story. And you know, when we look at the stories, sometimes uh, there can be different narratives and meanings. And the first one I'd like to bring out about the, the parable of the Samaritan is <coughs> that Jesus is the one bringing the oil and the wine. And he, he finds us in our condition of hopelessness. And he pours in the oil of his healing and his spirit. And he puts us and carries us to a place of restoration where he pays the full price for our recovery. And that's the first narrative. There's a song that we used to sing, and I've, and I've mentioned the 1980s. So we used to sing it in the 80s. And it went, a little, it went along that line of he poured in the oil and the wine. The oil that restoreth my soul. He found me bleeding and dying on the Jericho road and he poured in the oil and the wine. Amen. Do you remember that? Yes. Do you want to sing that? Sing me? <laughs> I'll get my wife to sing it. <laughs> so he poured in the oil and the wine. That's what he does for us, isn't it? He pours in his oil and his wine. He heals us. He restores us. He brings us to a place where we can be restored and healed. So that's the first picture of himself, if you like, as the Samaritan. But the other one, I guess the one that we, we know perhaps a little better, is the, the story of four individuals. One is the, obviously the, the one that had been robbed and badly, badly beaten and left for dead. And then there's the story of the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. Reminds me of a few jokes, you know? <laughs> there was a Catholic priest and a vicar and a rabbi. I'm not going to go any further on that one. Go on, I'm not going to go. I'll tell you another day, another day, for the sake of time. So it's almost, you can imagine Jesus sitting there and he says, well, 
You know, have you heard the one about the, um, about the Levite and the priest and the Samaritan? And the priests and the Samaritans, and the, not the Samaritans, there weren't too many of those around there at that time. The Levites, their ears pricked up, and what's the Samaritan got to do with it? So we have these, these individuals, and first of all, the man is robbed, he's left, he's, pl- he's put in a place of being totally, totally stuck, broken, and as he's lying there, there aren't many two places to lie, I can't get too dramatic, I can't lie down here, I'll sort of, it's not long enough for me. So, you have to imagine. So you're lying there, you're bleeding, you're dying, on the Jericho Road, and you see a priest coming along. In all his gear. <laughs> you know the sort of gear priests wear? Yeah. Not modern ones like John. <laughs> They've got all the garb with the headgear on, the whole thing. He sees him. And obviously, the injured man sees the priest, thinks there's a priest. But he passes over and goes on the other side of the road. Because maybe he's on a schedule, maybe he's got a place to be, maybe he's got a sermon to preach, maybe he's got to go through some stuff in the temple, he's got responsibilities, he's on a time schedule. So he passes by on the other side. Now Jesus is speaking to those that are in front of him and he's trying to disrupt them and make them think. Think about themselves and where they're sitting and where they're at. And he's also answering this lawyer who's being analytical about the law and getting into the detail, whereas Jesus had said many times, I you know, learn what, go away and learn what this means. I desire mercy, mercy and not sacrifice or before sacrifice. Learn what this matters. You know, what really you're, you're worried about, the little details about how much you, you tithe, whether you, you tithe your mint or you come in and all these details. Okay, that's fine, but what are the weightier matters of the law? What about caring for your parents? What about caring for the poor and the sick? What really matters? What's God about? He's a God of love. And by telling a story, he's illustrating something that really, really matters in the context of the people he's talking to. Because we can, in religion, you know, gets into rules and regulations and judgment. And so easily in our nature, we, like the lawyer, want to justify ourselves. We want to justify our bad selves or our good selves, depending on your point of view about yourself. We want to save ourselves by what we do, when the only one that can save us is Jesus, through his blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's where our salvation is. 
and we can only be justified by, by Him and what He has done for us, as we've celebrated this morning. So the priest walks by, then the Levite. Maybe the Levite's stuck. Just like the priest was stuck in his position, the Levite comes along, and the Levite was one that did the menial tasks, the things around the temple, the, the things in, uh, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the other Jews... He was a servant, but he did all the menial things, make sure things were flowing, ready, organised. That was his role. And he was busy also. And when he sees the needy one, he passes by on the other side. Now, how is this guy feeling by now? He's lying half dead, a priest's come by and a Levite's come by. And we know Jesus is only telling a story. It didn't actually happen. But he's illustrating a point. How did this man feel? He's stuck. He's dependent on somebody else. And nobody's stopping. And two significant people one would expect to help have passed by. And then the Samaritan comes. Why did Jesus pick a Samaritan? Well, Samaritans were despised. Samaritans were hated. They were a mixed race. Uh, their religion was mixed. They just were despised by the Jews, particularly by those that were very firmly under the law, like the priests, the Levites, and the lawyers. So Jesus picks someone a native of nearby, and perhaps quite a few of them lived in Jericho, he picked him to illustrate the po his point, that what really matters, and who your neighbour really is, is the one that reaches out in compassion to you. The other interesting point is in the context of that whole time where the 70 had gone out to minister, that Jesus had, been, had set his face to Jerusalem to go and to be crucified. He set his face in one direction and everybody knew, I'm going to Jerusalem. He let them know, we're going to Jerusalem. And they'd come to a town of the Samaritans and the Samaritans had said, no, we don't want you here because you're a Jew and you're going to Jerusalem. Now he'd done some amazing acts People knew and had heard about Jesus and his miracles. We know about the Samaritan woman and her whole town had been saved. So the Samaritans had heard about Jesus as well. But in this instance, in this town, they said, we don't want a bar of you, we don't want you. And John and James said, Lord, call down fire and brimstone on this town. And Jesus said, you know not what spirit I am of. Because he came with grace and truth, not to bring judgment. And Jesus was not only talking to the Levites and the priests. 
he was talking to his self-righteous disciples who had seen incredible things and healing and miracles and wonderful things being of the movement of the Holy Spirit, but were still judging the Samaritans. They were still justifying themselves. They were still self-righteous. You see, that heart thing, Jesus had that ability just to cut through and say, he was a Samaritan. So that got them thinking too. They're all thinking. So the Samaritan comes along and he pours in the oil and the wine and he puts the injured man on his donkey and he takes him to the inn and he pays the innkeeper and then he pays him some more money to look after him until he comes back and takes care of all his needs. It's just a wonderful story. We've got these three individuals that were stuck. You know, the Samaritan comes along. He's a Samaritan. He's perhaps a busy man, a businessman. He's busy. He's got an agenda. And suddenly, there's an interruption. Suddenly, there's someone in need that's going to hold him up. Somebody that could be a nuisance. Somebody that could cost him money and time and inconvenience. Suddenly, there's an interruption in his life. Have you ever had that? Have you ever had an interruption which comes and just blows everything away, you've had all these plans, you've had all, got all these expectations, you're excited, uh, you've got a, maybe you've got a big move on, things are happening for you, and suddenly there's an interruption which puts everything on hold because it involves somebody else and you're faced with a, maybe some choices. What's important? My agenda, where I'm going, what I'm doing, or this person? And we have to sometimes make a choice between what is convenient for us and comfortable for us and what is going to inconvenience us. But the rewards of helping others, and I know many of you do, and the, we just, I just think the, the trust does amazing work as a body. Many of us are involved in caring for others and helping others. I know that. And I don't want, you know, when we look at stories like this, we can sort of think, oh, I'm not good enough. I don't do enough. That's not the message I want to get across here. What I want to get across is that there is at times, holy interruptions in our life. And they seem to be counterproductive. They, sometimes we're busy rebuking the devil. And sometimes he does show up, sure, and interrupt things. But you know it can be turned to good. All things work together for good to those that love the Lord. We can be presented with a holy interruption 
and a disturbance. You know, we had that six years ago. Suddenly the earth shook and our whole lives were changed. Many of us lost our homes. We're disrupted in our lives and they kept on coming. And just a couple of weeks ago it happened again and we think, oh, where are we? oh hold on a minute. Is it happening again? Is it another interruption? Are we going to have another stuck, stuck, stuck with insurance companies and EQC and, and everything else? Who got stuck with that whole thing? Who, come on, let's be honest. Who got stuck with that whole thing? Help, help, Lord. Almost to a point where, how can I deal with this anymore? Can I take another one? Yet there is grace and God is in our lives and working in our city. And I know how it's decimated in many ways our church, but now he's rebuilding. Amen? Now we're rebuilding with his grace and with his help. And he has a message for us to take. He wants us to be a Samaritan church. One of the names up on the board was Samaritan House. I put that there, and I'm not offended that, you know, that you didn't choose it. I didn't even get on the short list. <laughs> but I'm not offended. I, I'm quite comfortable with St. Albans Baptist Church, quite personally, you know, personally. Because it actually doesn't matter what we call ourselves. What matters is the message we take. What it matters is the message we carry. And we carry grace. We carry the love of God. Amen. Let's watch Flawless, shall we? I know we've been watching it through the year. Let's just watch that one more time. And, um, and just take in that all of the people on this video were interrupted. They had a holy interruption. Many of them have every reason to be totally, totally stuck. But God has turned that around to the point that they're flawless in him. And so are we. Amen? There's got to be more than going back and forth. Simply can't believe that this 
the wretch like this and wrap him up in righteousness. But that's exactly what he I just want to read one verse from the Passion Bible, and we can have it up on the screen, Romans 3, 24, 25, through his powerful declaration of acquittal, God freely gives away his righteousness. His gift of love and favour now cascades over us because Jesus, the anointed one, has liberated us from guilt, punishment and the power of sin. We're liberated people. Amen? We don't have to justify ourselves like the lawyer because we are justified through the blood of Christ. He has made us flawless. And you might be feeling this morning, you maybe came feeling stuck, stuck in life. Perhaps you don't know Jesus. I'll get the musicians to come now if they can. Thank you. As we just come to a close.
you know, that can change. That can change. It's an invitation. All he needs is your invitation into his life. And you can know that healing, that place of being flawless when you feel so stuck. So stuck in life. Maybe there's choices that you've made that you regret. Those can be taken. Maybe the consequences are there, but they can be healed. Whatever we carry in this life can be turned to good and redeemed through the blood of Christ. Maybe there are those here this morning that are in that place of, of really being stuck. I just need more. I just... I've got to get out of this. Maybe they're stuck in some form of addiction or, or just life has presented stuff that, uh, and that pain, frozen gro- grief and just stuff that's happened. And it's hurt so much that it holds you. It has a power over you. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to move that this morning. Yeah. So let's stand and, and sing and just I- invite him Invite him to heal. Invite him to unstick us. Amen? Just let him do that. Hallelujah. Salvation 